Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Hi everyone, happy Sunday. So glad you're here. I thought I would plan something a little different for us. Leading up to Easter, I thought we would spend about three weeks with one of my favorite Christian authors, Howard Thurman. And for those of you who maybe are unfamiliar with Howard Thurman and and his many books, um, let me just read a little bit about him from the dust jacket here. About Howard Thurman. At the time of his death in 1981, Howard Thurman was Dean Emeritus at Marsh Chapel, Boston University, chairman of the board at trustees of the Howard Thurman Educational Trust in San Francisco. He also served as dean of Rankin Chapel, Howard University at Washington, D.C., as professor of Howard University School of Religion, and also director of religious life at Morehouse and Spelman Colleges in Atlanta. He was the founder of the Church for the Fellowship of All Peoples in San Francisco. It was the first interracial interdenominational church in the United States. And, and this was at a time, too, when African Americans were still relegated to the back to the bus, really treated as second-class citizens across most of America. He achieved all of this. And what a profound writer. Those of you who have been here through some of our holidays, we love to do his, uh, some of his holiday readings, his Christmas candlelighting service. We, we just steal it wholeheartedly because it's so beautiful, uh, and so on. And so I wanted to give you a little taste of, uh, of some of his work over the next three weeks. And in particular, I think what I'm enjoying is spiritual principles presented from a slightly different point of view. And so uh, these, of course, fulfill all the requirements for what we call spiritual principles. They work for everyone. They're on that unseen side of life. And yet they're posed from that unique Christian perspective that I think, I think we'll uh, enjoy a bit. In fact, we're going to learn three spiritual principles. Well, I say learn them as though, as though you sit down and you know, learn how to drive or something like that. Uh, but hopefully, anyway, they'll resonate with you. The first one is interesting. It's simply called the idea of life seeking life, the principle of life itself, that life seeks more life. And the example he uses in the book to get started is something I lived through myself completely. And so I'll share my experience of it. The last house I sold was a lovely old craftsman home up on 64th in the Park Rose District. The house was over 100 years old. And when I sold it, the new buyer wanted to have a sewer line inspection. There was $5,000, right? Because of course, with a building that old, they sent some camera down there. And guess what had completely filled up? In fact, I'm surprised that there was still good throughput because the lines were completely filled with, guess what? Tree roots. It's the life principle. Life seeks out its highest and best despite all obstacles. And so here the tree, of course, you know, urban trees, right? Confined to those little two-foot-wide curb strips. Urban trees are all about the life principle. They will send roots out for half a mile down the block to seek out nutrients and water. They'll go completely under the road. In fact, even push up the road in places to try to get what it needs. And there was the perfect example of it. 
In fact, uh, my, uh, my house was so old that the conduit was two-inch thick cement tiles, and the tree roots had managed to fully break and enter two-inch thick cement tiles. That is the power of life seeking more life. Now, this has its good aspects and its bad aspects, and I want to talk about this for a minute. In fact, Howard Thurman talks about the principle, the life principle, if you will, on three different levels. And so far, we're just talking about the physical level, that life literally seeks whatever it needs to survive. Now, this is a a good news story in that human beings will do nearly everything and anything that are necessary to keep themselves going. They can weather oppressive family situations. They can weather terrible economic situations. They can do what is necessary to provide for them and their own families despite nearly any kind of hardship or, or trouble in the world, right? And, and gosh, we see countless examples of that where people have done whatever is necessary. Makes sense until you think you might be that two-inch thick sewer culvert. Because the downside of this is we're not always aware that we have done something for us to get more life, but it has put someone else in a place of hazard. So this is the life principle at the physical level, not always what we would say positive. It has its pluses and it has its minuses. Sometimes in the effort of striving for our lives, we can put other people at risk. And in fact, if you'll remember last month, we were talking a lot about trust and at times of our life when we have witnessed betrayals and, and people doing what certainly appeared to be rotten things to us, my suggestion is that's the life principle. They were seeking their good, not realizing that they were trampling all over our good. Make sense? So that's the life principle at the physical level. Let's ramp that up, though, because Howard Thurman says it's really a three-part deal. The second part is at the mental level. So at the mental level, the life principle means that we're seeking to better ourselves intellectually, to learn how to overcome obstacles, to practice something long enough that we become masters at it, to use our curiosity to seek out new ways of being. So it's not just how we're physically in the world. It's also how our mind and how our emotions play into things. It's that, again, seeking more life, more ways of uplifting ourselves in the world. At this realm, though, also, we have that capability of doing it still at the expense of other people. So there is that warning there, right? That it isn't just that we want to have more life. The warning that it isn't just us seeking our greater good. We have to be mindful because it won't necessarily come naturally to us at the physical level and the mental level. Our own needs will seem to be bigger sometimes. Our own desires will seem to be more important than the people around us. Okay, enter the third phase, the, the spiritual realm, though. Here, in the spiritual realm, our desire for more life is God's desire for expressing more life. And this fits in so beautifully with what we believe in the science of mind, our knowledge, our sure knowledge that we are each an individualized center of God's divinity. 
And so when I talk to you, it's God talking to God. When I'm interacting with you, it's one part of divine creativity interacting with another part of divine creativity. And here's where then that idea of trampling over someone else really ceases to exist. Because we can no more treat someone else poorly than we'd be treating ourselves poorly or be treating spirit itself poorly. And so when we bring our idea for life-seeking life up into the spiritual realm, then it's really a win-win situation for everyone. It's that intention of being God's hands and hearts in the world. Compassion is guaranteed. That ability to seek out our good while at the same time watching other people and encouraging other people to seek out their good, it really becomes a group effort because there is only the divine whole, which includes all of us. So that's the life principle in its three forms. Let's move on, though, to the second principle in the first chapter of this lovely book. And for those of you who have studied Emma Curtis Hopkins, you're going to wonder, well, he was in Boston at the same time that Emma Curtis Hopkins was in Boston. And like, was there a little stealing going on? Did Howard Thurman steal from Emma Curtis Hopkins? Did Emma Curtis Hopkins steal for Howard Thurman? I don't know. But what I do know is that the second principle is we yield our heart to our God. And boy, you read this in the book, and it's Emma Curtis Hopkins saying, my good is my God. My good is my God is the principle. And this, too, has both its positive aspect and its negative aspect. And I'm going to try to cover this one a little quickly because I want to get to the, the third principle. But the idea of our good is our God is what we focus on, what we pay attention to, what we hold in our heart really is our representation of God. And when we're in that third principle, that, that high spiritual nature of, the, uh, of really the principle of life, it's such a wonderful place to be, right? Our, our good and our God are essentially the good and the God of all humanity. We, we move through life being fully supported by the divine because we're doing the divine's work in the world. And when we see the good out in the world, we see it as part of ourselves, part of that unique unity of all things. And what, what a blessing it is. And Howard Thurman, being a good Christian, gives us all kinds of biblical warnings of when our good becomes something on the earth instead. When our good becomes the power that we feel through having a job. When our good becomes solely focused on earning money to pay our student loans off. When our, our good becomes focused on something firmly here on the planet, we then have lowered our idea of God to meet it. And so that whole idea of graven images, that whole idea of putting something on the human plane ahead of our own spiritual nature comes into play here. Our, our God is our good. And what we hold to be good is our representation of God. And if that is truly on high, if we're speaking from the life principle at its highest, what a blessing. And if instead we put our career first above all else, if instead we put earning money ahead of all else, if instead we put a, an earthly relationship ahead of the celestial relationship, 
then we have lowered our idea of what really counts in the world. Our good has become our God and not in the best use of that energy. All right, let's skip ahead to the third principle. And of course, I have to tell a joke about it first. So a woman's husband had been slipping in and out of a coma for several months. She had stayed at his bedside every single day. One day, when he became more aware of his surroundings, he motioned for her to come closer. As she sat by him, he whispered, eyes full of tears, You know what? You have stuck with me through all of the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there to help me along. When I fell off a cliff, you're the one that dragged me to safety and called for help. And when we lost the house, you didn't abandon me. You were there. Even when my health started failing, you were the one by my side. It's been quite a commitment, dear. Well, the woman's heart opened as she listened to her husband's quiet speech. He gazed up at her at last and said, maybe it's time we should try something different. A thousand two, a thousand three. Okay, now you've all got it. Yeah, all right. (laughs) I was accused of being way too obscure on that joke. It's more than the commitment, of course. It's what you're committed to. I think all of us have experienced commitments in our life. Everything from the mundane to really heartfelt commitments where we felt we were all in. And I'm here to suggest that this idea of commitment even has a spiritual principle that goes with it. Howard Thurman calls it the I am my commitment, that it really is a sense of unitiveness with your own heart. And that when you set yourself out on a commitment that's true and beautiful and pure, you actually become that commitment. It's a way of you, in fact, knowing more about yourself because of your level of commitment. Now, in the same way we talked about three levels of the life principle, there's the same three aspects of commitment. We can be committed to things here on earth. We can be committed to our emotions and our intellectual realms. And all of those kinds of commitments, of course, are beautiful and pure and lovely. And when we make commitments at the spiritual level, that is really where we become full co-creators with spirit. Because then we are acting on the behalf of spirit itself. And our work becomes God's work. Our, our efforts, our commitment to improving our own lives, the lives of other people, the situation here on the planet. When we make those levels of commitments, since it's on behalf of spirit, on that spiritual realm, oh my gosh, all of the resources you need are there. All of the, uh, the collaborators that you need are there. If money or, or other kinds of resources are needed, they will materialize out of nowhere because it's God getting God's work done in the world through you. Let me read just a little bit out of, uh, out of the book and you'll see what I mean. He says, this is a part of the growing ministry that I call commitment. It places upon the individual a demand that pulls to one point of focus all the fragments of one's life, and it can make you whole. Again and again, the testimony is that one did not know one had been fragmented until they became whole. 
They did not know that they were lost until they had been found. The miracle of the experience of commitment is that it draws together all the elements of one from the many regions of the self and gives them back in a single whole. In answering the question, who am I? You may be able to say, I'm not sure who I am, but I have given all of me that I can find to the pursuit of this holy purpose. And the answer to that question is a beginning. It will make itself known even to me. And so the idea here is when you make a commitment to somehow love the world more, you become love. You will begin seeing yourselves as love. You'll begin seeing through the eyes of love. When you make a commitment to compassion, maybe one day a week you're going to help out in a food commissary for people who don't have enough to eat. When you make a commitment of compassion like that, you become compassion. You become God's emissary of love and light and wholeness itself. People will begin seeing you that way. People will begin reacting to you like that because it's what you're becoming. You are literally becoming the hands and the hearts of spirit itself. If you become involved in philanthropic exercises, for instance, or, or maybe you're here to, to make sure that the planet can be cleaned up enough to sustain life for a few more hundred years. When you become involved in any of those high and holy activities, you are literally acting on behalf of spirit itself, and therefore all of spirit's resources will come to your aid. It is an amazing place to be. That intersection between making a commitment and the life principle at the spiritual level is something that very few of us, I think, can manage to spend whole years of our lives in. We get glimpses of it. Do you know what I mean? Have you, have you worked on some project maybe to, to better a group of people in the neighborhood? Or, or have you even worked maybe individually with someone where you represented the heart of compassion and were there for them when they were working through medical issues or something like that? How did you feel right when you were in the middle of it? Didn't it feel effortless? Didn't it feel blissful? The reason for that is you were at that intersection of life-seeking life and the high holy purpose that comes from doing that on the spiritual level. You weren't asking for any good to come back to you specifically. You weren't thinking of it as another job that had to be done. You were thinking of it as that high and holy calling And the reason that bliss was associated with it, the reason that it came easy to you, the reason you felt so good is because it wasn't even you anymore. It was what you are becoming as your divine self. Well, I bet you can sense the homework for today. I hope you don't mind it too much. What divine intersection between the life principle as spirit and your commitment to making a change in the world, your true commitment, not just wouldn't it be nice if all of the graffiti in Portland were, were cleaned off, not just wouldn't it be 
wonderful if blah, 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 blah. But I mean a true commitment. Now, it doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment. It doesn't have to be a commitment that takes a thousand hours. You don't have to become magically Mother Teresa here to represent compassion for all time. But what I do know is you can make an immense difference and it won't even feel like work when it's from that place of the divine and when it's from that place of commitment because God will absolutely be working through your heart and your hands and your mind. So the homework is, where might you find that in your own life? What is one of those high and holy callings and to what might you give that level of a commitment? I'm going to close today just with a prayer, a prayer of life, a prayer of wholeness, a prayer of commitment. Let us pray. There is one power, one life, one goodness. And because it is present everywhere, I know that it means me. I know that it means each one of us. We are each part of the divine creator itself. Our hands and our hearts operate on God's behalf. Each of us in our own mind and our own sense of creativity can find that place where we can make all the difference. That intersection of the spiritual realm with the life principle moving us forward and that place of true commitment will make all the difference. And I invite each of us to not shirk if that vision seems like a large one. If that vision of helping, if that vision of compassion, if that vision of love is big enough to encompass the world, then I'm up for it. And I simply claim and affirm for each person here that God will not allow us to have a task that is too big for us. That those full resources of spirit itself, when we are embarked upon a high and holy commitment, are always present. And so for this, I give great thanks. For this, I simply acknowledge the divine in every person in this room, in every person on the planet, each of us with a calling, each of us with a commitment, each of us with something to do in that spiritual realm. And so I give thanks for this. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.